Hello, everybody. And hello, Marcy. Hi, D. <laughs> oh, my gracious. That was stressful. We could not get the audio to work. So not Marcy at all. had to Marcy had to go onto the phone again and she's gonna have to hold it because she just stand for her phone while it's plugged in. So, but despite the challenges, we are here. We are here. Um Hi, honey, you're back. Okay. Thank you. My husband went to go help a friend of ours um, in Baton Rouge, which is like about an hour away from us. So uh, her car was having troubles and she Aww. was stranded. Yeah. So he went up there and came back. So like I was, we we're having all this trouble. I'm like, my tea guy's not here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, well, we are so glad to be back for another live. Um, and actually, you know, scheduled it and showed up on the day it was scheduled maybe 30 <laughs> minutes late but we are here we are here <laughs> um so i don't know how many people are on but if you're new here let us know if you've been watching for a while let us know where you're coming from and while we wait for a few more people i'm gonna go ahead and run our intro so for the new viewers they know kind of what our podcast is about so and intro. Welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. I'm Marcy. And I'm Dee. We are finding healing after leaving a cult. We will be discussing abuse and personal experience with the ATI, IBLP, and fundamental churches. Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of various forms of abuse. Please take care for your safety and well-being while you are listening. If the content becomes too much for you to handle, please turn this off. We hope to expose harmful teachings that lead to and justify abuse. With the hope that those that are experiencing abuse can find support and escape from it. Okay. I saw you messing with the phone. So I was like, let me just make sure she's got it set up before I add her. Yeah. I've um, a holder so I didn't have to hold it the whole time. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Uh, righty. So, um, just I'm having a little bit of a delay between you speaking and me speak and hearing you. So let's try to like maybe pause for a few seconds after we finish, so we don't interrupt and people can hear. I don't know how it, you know, is on everybody else's end. Um, but I just want to make sure they can hear both of us. Sounds good. All right. So we are back to discuss more of Jill Duggar's book, Counting the Cost. And um, we had quite a few notes and I didn't realize how many stinking notes that I did have. And, <laughs> and we were at the video last week and I was like, oh my gracious, I have so many notes. I didn't even realize it. So I'm trying to figure out where we left off last time. You know, I don't even remember. Toward the end of their history, I think. I think we had talked about, I don't know if I jumped to where he, um, talked about where she talked about Bill Gothard coming to her house. Um, and then I think we did talk about uh, Jana going up to headquarters or whatever, but I don't remember if I jumped to it or not. So I'm going to, I'm going to pop out for a minute. If you want to just kind of catch up everybody on kind of the goings on in your life lately, <laughs> the last two weeks. And um, I'm going to figure out where we, we ended. Okay. So um, I do remember the, from Mr. Gothard. I do remember that. I do, but I don't remember if we we had um skipped over any of the, the notes between where we left off in that. So I'll be right back. Okay, gotcha. All right, y'all. <laughs> it's me and you. Um, so we've just been busy. We've I've read part of the book. 
Um, Dee's scanned more of it than I have, um, but I found it really good, really well done. Um, and here at home, we've just been busy with school uh, and with church and um, <clears throat> and work with my daycare. Um, just busy, busy, busy. All, all the goings on. I have two new nephews and a niece. And so the two nephews are here in Tulsa, Tulsa with me. And so um, that's been fun. I've been having fun with new babies. Um, trying to think of what else to catch you guys up on. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, we're coming up with new ideas for more interviews perhaps and maybe some um some other ideas for um some interaction from y'all um we thought we might try a couple of things have some interactive stuff that you can join in with us on um so we're working on those ideas for y'all uh let's see hmm Outside of that, I don't know. <laughs> Dee is so much better at keeping this going. You're so much better at keeping this going than I can. If I have a train, go, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we we were at that part where um, Gothard um, was at their house. So I didn't skip around. So I, okay. that's where we left off. Um, and I think we pretty much covered that. So um, let me get everything set up to be able to show you the book and I'm using two screens and now I'm having to figure out how to scroll between them and find my mouse because I'm trying to scroll fast and it's I'm losing it <laughs> it's a whole thing <laughs> maybe we can get some uh, who's read the book now who got it and who who saw it and read it maybe. yeah definitely comment like Mm -hmm. If you've read the book, if you've gotten the book, haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. Okay, so share. Ta-da. And look, we're, we can be bigger today. So you can see us a little bit better. I'm trying to figure out the new features of StreamYard because the last time we were on and doing this, it was a little bit different and there's new features coming out all the time. And I just don't have time to keep up, unfortunately. <laughs> if I look sideways, it's because I'm looking at what you're reading on the computer. Okay. All right. So now I need to figure out what note goes with this. Where am I? Do, 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 do. So I thought this was funny because I don't, th I think we've talked about the, I know it's been talked about in the, re the recovery groups quite a bit. But I can't remember if we talked about the Volders cookbook on our podcast or not. Do you uh, remember? I don't know that we have. But the Volders, well known throughout. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew who the Volders were. Um, they were definitely a, a model family, if you want to put it that way. The Volders were at, I don't know if they were still at headquarters when I was there or not. They might have been just going. I don't remember. Too long ago. My, my sign was freaking out behind me. I was oh. like, I saw it flash, and I'm like, what is flashing? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they were based, they were like pre-Duggars. So they were like the model family before the Duggars. And I honestly don't even know anything about the Volers since, you know, ATI, the when we were up at headquarters. Like, I don't, I haven't seen any of them on the recovery groups that I can recall. Mm -hmm. um, not sure where they're all at, but I hope they're well. I hope they are. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Oh, excuse me. Oh my gosh. All right. Um. Okay. So that's what we were going to talk about was the the voler and the tater tot casserole. I think this came up. Um in one of like the Reddit threads that I was, I was listening to and they were like, I, they brought this tater tot casserole uh, or something to um, a political event. And it was just like, it's just a weird thing to bring to an event, I guess. I don't know. 
That's just political event. They brought it to a political event. I think so. If I, I recall, there there was something. I don't know. My brain is kind of all mixed up today. So if anybody knows, like if you've been in the, the fundy snarking community, the tater tot casserole comes up a bit. And it was like some specific thing that happened. And it was either it was being made and it just somebody was like, that's a weird dish. Or it was, I do believe, like it was brought to a like a picnic or something, some kind of political event for uh, Jim Bob. But my my brain may be remembering differently. <laughs> but big deal on there. I want talk about it on our show quite a bit. Yeah. Do you remember any other cookbooks other than the Volers from our time there? Um, there were multiple ones. I know they sold okay. at the seminars, um, like at Knoxville. Um, but I don't remember, I don't do names very well. So don't remember if they were probably if somebody said, this is what I'll be like. Oh yeah, I do remember that one. I don't remember. We didn't really ever do the cookbook. So it wasn't something that was part of our, um, part of our, you know, normal, lively, daily life type of thing. I'm also having trouble finding words if you can't tell. <laughs> ADHD life. <laughs> Yes, and pure exhaustion. <laughs> Yesterday was ridiculous. I had four appointments in the afternoon while I was trying to work. And deal oh, with man. eight kids and four appointments. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Marcy today. I'm like, okay, I think we can do this. I'm going to try and make it happen. And she's like, me too. And I'm like, she's like, it was a really hard day yesterday. I'm like, can we just press the restart button? <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is why I had, I had four babies and two toddlers and a, and a school age kid that won't go to school. My, my, my youngest is having anxiety issues. And then, then two, two appointments and a, two other appointments I had to be at. <laughs> and they were all, I accidentally spaced them out about an hour apart or hour and a half apart. So it's just all afternoon. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Mm -hmm. oh. I still have not recovered. All right. But anyway, let, on we go. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this one says, even more surprising, though, was the fact that after the camp, my elder sister, Dana, was personally invited by Mr. Gothard to visit IVLP headquarters in Chicago and worked there for a while. We were the new... We were new to the inner workings of IBLP, but we knew enough already to understand why it was only Dana who was invited. She was the only elder... Thugger girl who was blonde, and everybody knew that Mr. Gothard liked blonde girls. We joke about it, call Jana one of the Gothard girls. It didn't occur to me at, at all how strange, unsafe, and unwise it was. And if I had, I doubt I would have been able to speak out against it. Sweet Jilly Muffin, which is her like alter ego, people pleaser, childhood persona, uh, had grown up, but I was still terrified of conflict and would do anything I could to avoid it. So I think we touched on this on the last episode, but if we didn't, I'd like to go over it again, just because I think this is a very, 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 um, it's worth mentioning as much as possible that she acknowledged in her book that she realizes now how unsafe and strange it was to have called people or girls the gothard girls and knowing what she knows now looking back she's like wow i can't believe we didn't understand like we did that jokingly but you know it we didn't understand the the severity of doing that but now i do and she realizes that even Back then, she wouldn't have probably been able to speak up. And we've talked about that on our podcast, how when I went to headquarters and I saw some things that I thought were strange, having been of the world and coming back and coming into IVLP world after being an adult, it was like, that's strange. But it's like I, me being in a position of a... Hmm, what did you call that? What, uh, like, uh, they were supposed to help me. Oh, um, uh, an encouraging charity case. And 
encouragement case. So I was an encouragement case. So I didn't feel like I had any footing or standing to be able to approach anybody because they would have just been like, well, she's an encouragement case. She doesn't know anything. And I probably would have just been sent home or dismissed, you know? So, and I knew that I, I knew I didn't have a position to be able to say anything. And most people in that cult knew that. Yeah. And I verify that, that if you had said anything that it wouldn't have been taken seriously. Um, for one thing, um, any concerns from student staff would never have been taken seriously. Secondly, it would have had that extra um, layer of encouragement case. But not only that, that you were an adult who had been in the world and coming into our um, cult. And so you didn't understand the rules. And so that that would have been dismissed that way too, which is totally backward and wrong. <laughs> I loved the way that she, that she put that into words because I've searched so many times for a way to put into words why I didn't say anything when I saw those things happening or why I didn't think, why it didn't trigger me to think something was wrong. There were, there were really low level, quiet things in my heart. I knew it was wrong, but it didn't come up to the surface logically to think it out and say, Hey, I need to think this out and say something to someone. Um, it was just all hidden underneath the surface. And I felt like she worded it really well. <laughs> um, Cause I've struggled with that several times where I thought I was there. I saw it happening. I had the opportunity to say, this is not right. Or this is something's wrong, but I just didn't know enough to do it. And I thought she worded it well. I mean, and, and that's y'all didn't have the vocabulary either growing up. Didn't in the cult. Y'all, mm -hmm. y'all weren't taught the vocabulary. Me being, raised in Catholicism, Catholic schools, um, a little bit of public school, having friends outside of the homeschooling community. Mm -hmm. I had some of the vocabulary, but I still wasn't prepared for understanding abuse and especially like sexual abuse or sexual misconduct. There, so, um, for that, because there was no teaching or training on it. We were never taught that there were predators out there or what predators did or, or that, you know, they're not in that way. And it would never have occurred to us that an older gentleman might be a predator too. Like, um, it would, it was always worldly men that were after young girls and they were probably a little bit older or whatever. It, it, it never occurred to us that there was a whole nother section of people that we would need to be concerned about. Like it, that wasn't ever in our realm of understanding. So it didn't even occur right. to be a motivation for Mr. Gothard because it wasn't ever taught. Because he was very naive, yeah. Because he was a man of God, right? And so we should trust everyone that is a Christian. And it's like this blanket trust that's given to these people with not even a concern of what you would in protection that you would take if you weren't in the church. Because the amount of protection that the parents did to keep you safe from the outside world. Mm -hmm. was completely opposite of the trust that was given to these people in these organizations. And it's just, it baffles me sometimes. But I don't think even if, even thinking about the world, I would have thought there was a danger with older men. I just, I don't think that was even. Oh in, yeah. Like that it wasn't even in my realm to understand that there were people, the child predators or that the, that older men would go after younger women. Like it didn't, it wasn't even there. I didn't know that. That mm. was the thing. So even outside okay. of the, I didn't know that was a danger. I, you know, I just, I never really thought about that only because growing up, I had to be cautious of older men. Mm -hmm. There were several men in my family that made me feel very uncomfortable. And so that wasn't abnormal to me to be cautious of older men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if I should share this or not. I mean, I don't know how my family would feel about this being on the internet, but there was a specific family member in my life that when I met Mr. Gothard, he reminded me of that family member. Mm. And that was one of the reasons I was so like taken off kilter mm -hmm. about Mr. Gothard was because he gave me those same vibes and those vibes were not good. Yeah. 
And, but then I was like, well, he's a man of God. And, you know, so it was like an internal struggle that I had mm -hmm. that, I mean, I never voiced to anybody because I was an encouragement case and they would just dismiss me as not understanding it or whatever, you know? So, yeah, it was, it was a weird. We were only able to view it as a joke because we didn't have any deeper level understanding of of any of those sexual things to mm -hmm. be find it any deeper than that. So yeah, yeah. That joke, it really was to us because we didn't know anything else. So there wasn't any, um, like when, when I say there's literally no, no understanding or training of it, there isn't, there's none. Yeah. Like we yeah. were completely blind to any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next point that I kind of highlighted was um, she says, Mr. Gothard's teachings determined what little music we could listen to, the cut of our clothing and the length of our hair. We would be homeschooled and hardly ever allowed to spend time in the company of anyone who wasn't either our parent, an older sibling, or on rare occasions, a friend from church. There would never be any drinking and dancing or even any con contraception once we were married. A portion of the scripture that was frequently taught or referenced was honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Ephesians 6, 2 to 3. Honoring parents, even into adulthood, was such a big deal that even if your parents weren't Christian, it would be a sin to disobey them. If you wanted to get married and they refused to give their blessing, IBLP teaching was on the side of the parents. Um, and so she also says, um, but fear was a powerful tool within IBLP TV, public school, even contemporary Christian radio stations with their rock music. These were all threats constantly trying to drag us away from righteous Christian living, living, <laughs> living children needed to be protected from them all. And so there was a lot of talk about umbrellas of protection one of the most significant planks of IBLP teaching, if a child ever were to disobey their parents' instruction or act in a, in a way that dishonored them, they would be placing themselves at risk. By disobeying their parents, they would be stepping out from under the umbrella of protection and terrible things could happen. By turning themselves over to sin, God's judgment would be upon them. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of talked about this in our, I think it was kind of in our stories or like uh, the first couple of episodes where we kind of explained like a lot about IBLP and the whole umbrella of protection. Um, and as you know, our podcast is Umbrella Rebellion. Um, and we do not believe in this teaching whatsoever anymore. And, um, you know, a lot of her book goes into how even as a married adult, she was expected to obey or honor her parents. Um, well, I guess really her dad for the most part and how that, and we talked about this in the first one, Marcy, I have a clip of it on TikTok, And I think in a short, how Marcy talked about the, the timing of the signing of the contract being the day before she got married, essentially mean meant that he, took the opportunity to go behind Derek's back when it would be justified that he was still under, she was still under the dad's authority and not the husband's authority. Because once she was under the husband's authority, Jim Bob would have had to bring the contract to her husband to review. Yeah. And so he, I mean, that was like, that blew my mind. Like I knew that was, I knew it was sneaky, but when you made that point, I was like, that's even more devious and underhanded and vile <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. Um, so He's do you want to talk? I mean, I know you've talked about how, you know, you were expected to honor and obey your parents as an adult as well. Yes. So we didn't, they didn't take it as my parents didn't take it as far as after marriage, we were pretty much not their problem. Um, so it didn't, it wasn't, we were not required to follow any, we weren't under their authority anymore once we were married. And even after, even after they knew that we were outside of the cult and 
um, living our own lives and whatever they, when I left, when I left my first marriage, um, and came back home and lived with family for six months, it, there was very much a vibe that I was now directly under his umbrella of authority again. Um, a lot. <laughs> and that was a hard thing. I had to really break that several times and, and put up boundaries and tell them, uh, no, <laughs> I am, I am an individual and I am, I am running this. I'm not under your authority just because I'm here or just because I am no longer with my husband or, or divorced or whatever. Um, yeah, because in the teachings, as a woman, you always have to be under a man's yes. authority. Right. So is it automatically oh. now that I'm not with my husband, my ex-husband, I am now under my dad's authority. So that, and it was almost like an unspoken, it was never said directly. It was just assumed. And mm -hmm. um, since I had walked, so I had walked far enough away by that time to say, uh, no. <laughs> um <clears throat> In, in a soft and quiet way because I was living with them. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, the, yeah, so they didn't, they, my parents didn't take it that far. I think that's where you get into that. We talked about this too, about a spectrum of families and mm -hmm. into spectrums. And I think that the Duggars are probably like at the far right of that spectrum. Um, and, and that happens with a, any of, any of the, um, any of the standards that they expect of you. There's always a spectrum of families. For sure. And it, it's anywhere from what Bill Gothard expected to what families individually interpreted Bill Gothard's rules as. But the, and it's, everything can be taken out of context. But when you apply all of, and it's, I think it also depends on how much you were involved in it. Yes. Because the more you involved in it, the more conferences you went, you got more of the unspoken, the unwritten instructions, right? You got other families who, the model families who were giving you tips on how to homeschool and stuff. And some of these, some of their interpretation of Gothard's teachings would come out. But if it ever contradicted Gothard, he wouldn't say anything about it. So it was like he agreed with anything, everything that was being taught from his platform by any of these families. And none of it was like, well, no, we shouldn't take it that far. Well, there is another part that we talked about last time that, that talked about um, them not only say agreeing to obey, but saying with joy, like um, I would be happy with pleasure. That's an example. So if you are an ATI family, if you wanted to be a better, more holy ATI family, then, or a model one even, you come up with new ideas that expound upon his base teachings and make you more holy. And so that would be, that would be an example of being more holy. And that gave you points in this cult system. So if you did, if you did that, if you added to it, if you went one step further, then you would have more holy points and you were more likely to be noticed or more likely to be, maybe not, mm -hmm but certainly ones that would be asked to speak or ones that others would look up to where you would be able to teach. So it was a, it was a almost, I wouldn't say a competition, but there was always that understood thing that if you could, if you could make it to that level, then, you know, you would just be amazing and you might get to go on stage at Knoxville. I remember my mom being saying, I wish we could be like those families. I wish we could sing and play instruments like those families so that we could do that too. And, and I think she talks a little bit about them saying, well, you know, all these families are going up and auditioning and wouldn't that be cool. That was very much the culture. Um, so taking it one step further saying you had to still be under your father's authority, especially with the money involved in the TV show would just be a natural um, progression of the culture that was already there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Bill Gothard didn't know what Jim Bob was doing. Yeah, no. They yeah. were, they were rubbing elbows. So, he probably, thought um, was, yeah. <laughs> he probably was like, let me take that, write it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, he's, his tactics are very similar to Bill Gothard's tactics when he uses 
his authority for abuse. So it's springs from from the same well. It does. So, it does. So the next note I have is they still talked about the Bible teachings of leaving cleave and how couples should make decisions together, but it seemed like they didn't really believe it when it conflicted with the parental authority teaching. And that again, it that varies. Um, let's see. However, even though I couldn't see it at the time, IBLP also encouraged parents to clip their children's wings. They taught that children should stay with their parents until marriage. And that instead of going away to college, children should stay home and pick up other safe trades for work. They encourage fathers to be self-employed, to build up family businesses, and have their boys work for them. It was a clear way of keeping full-grown adult offspring locked into their role of dependent children. Back then, seen through the eyes of my younger self, it seemed like a great plan. I didn't have any intention of leaving home or trying to make a life for myself on my own. Why would I? The world was dangerous and full of peril at home in the big house, which they call the, the house that they built for with TLC, where my parents could protect me. Things were safe. I thought she did an excellent job of writing this out, too, because these were the same thoughts I had. Why? Why? Why would I do that? Like, I'm safe here. I'm I'm provided for. I've got a, a roof over my head. I've got food. Um, You know, why would I have any other? desire to do anything else so yeah. and and conversely with me um when i was in the air force and i was a very independent person until iblp and and even then i struggled with it for a long time and um so i was like well i tried the world's way and it didn't work and so now I'm going to try it this way because they say it's going to work. Well, it turned out even worse than if I would have just stayed on the world path, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, at that point. I hey, was... Allison. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. So what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Oh, I, I would say that there was a dichotomy for me. There was the quiet, meek and, and merciful Marcy that grew up in it that was safe and um, and didn't know anything else and didn't what was content to stay in my own lane and stay safe. There was a, there was another half of me that, um, that was the rebel side that knew that, that this was not a place that I could stay forever, that knew that I needed to be on my own. And there was some individuality that needed to come out there. Um, so there was always a war, an inner war with that. <laughs> um, I just wasn't, I didn't get brave enough to really rock the boat until I was kind of cornered into it. So it was um, definitely, I just really liked how she said that. And, and parents were taught to clip our wings. We were, they were taught to tell us that we were adults at 12, but you can't go past this certain level of you know you still had to be codependent <laughs> yes i agree i heard some of that sorry i the dogs are barking and I oh you're like fine we i was just saying that that we were taught that we had to be adults by 12 and take mm, on yeah but our wings were clipped and we had to be codependent as adults it was such an opposing mindset that it it, it just is very damaging Right, because you had to be independent enough to go work for the ministry or start your own ministry at 12 and have the ability to take the consequences of your own choices, which really weren't yours because you're supposed to. It was it was such a very twisted web of reasoning mm -hmm. and a lot of circular reasoning. Yes. Control. <laughs> it was all based on control. <laughs> mm, yep, yep, yep. All right, let's see. Let's move on to the next one. It's a cute little picture. How many of uh, how many of uh, of the survivors have pictures of, especially women, females, of yeah. playing piano and or teaching piano? Because that was about the only way a lot of them could earn money was teaching piano. Yep, or art lesson. That was it. <laughs> oh, okay. So the next note I I thought was worth mentioning. 
Um, years and years of IBLP teaching had taught us that no good Christian child should consider going against our parents' wishes. Number one on the list of requirements in a future spouse was that we had the approval of our parents. Without that, it was game over before things even begun. Mr. Gothard even taught that it was best to make a vow of single service, committing a specific number of years to serving God while single. His teachings were compelling, but I preferred to commit to serve God, my family, and others just until God brought my future husband along. Yeah. And we've talked about this in other episodes, too, of how we how we worked through those things and how our pan- parents handled those things. Um, but I thought what she was saying was really good. It was very clear. It was, it was very concise. And I think that was definitely something that happened in the counseling seminars because when I was up at IBLP, the counseling seminar was something that I had to go to mm-hmm. as a requirement. And that's when I made a vow to, you know, so I think it was four years I had made a vow or whatever. And at the time I was 21. So, um, you know, but I only did that because I didn't think anybody was interested in me as a Christian wife. So I was like, well, might as well. <laughs> yes. I think I just out of pure uh, fear that I would get something wrong and be doomed for the rest of my life. I made all the commitments. There were only a few that I didn't at the counseling seminar. You had to have the counseling seminar if, if you wanted to serve anywhere. And I wanted to, to go out and serve. That was my way of escape was to serve. Mm-hmm. And so from home stuff. So the same, and I, we've talked about that before, but yeah, same where, but then my dad came back and kind of said, maybe you made too many and let's release you from those. And I'm the one that can release you because I'm your authority. And so he did. I couldn't remember half of the ones I made. So I said, dad, I can't remember them. And he's like, well, we'll just do a blanket prayer then. Okay. And I was like, fine. I don't, I lo- at the time I remember being confused because I didn't understand why, why this would be such a serious thing. And, um, yeah. And I also asked parents, um, I, there did come a point where I was like, has anybody approached you about me? And you have told them no, (laughs) because, you know, I was like, because I had to go to them first and I wanted to know, has anybody come? Like, and you just, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's like, so let's just say it out loud here. Like I made a vow and it was four years. So I was in the air force for four years. So I was like, okay, I know I can do a four year commitment and I'll be okay. Like it goes by faster than you think. But, um, you know, also I was like, well, maybe I'll meet my husband and I was planning on keeping the commitment, but then, you know, life happens. And for a long time I had struggled with, well, baby, I, you know, am having consequences from this making up a verse and pulling it out of the hat, you know, one day in my Bible reading that, you know, I wasn't subjected to this, you know, vow anymore. And God had released me because of a verse that I read. Yeah. You know, whatever you can make the Bible say anything you want really. Mm -hmm. Um, but looking back now, it's like, well, that's a stupid thing to, you know, hold yourself accountable to a vow that you were pressured into under a high control group that was, um, was led by someone who was grooming young girls. So I was like, well, if I ever had any doubts that I shouldn't have been, you know, judged for breaking that vow is I don't think it was a valid vow to have anyway, because it was under false teacher. So yeah. Yeah. That's my thoughts on that. So if you made a vow under Gothard, I would say, I'm pretty sure you're released from it. Yeah. God, God, understands that he knows where you were. He knows your heart behind it. When you made it, he's not going to hold you to anything that, that was made under duress. And I, I firmly believe that anything, any commitment made under IBLP at any one of their seminars was under duress. So you can't, hold anyone to something that like that and i don't think god that um yeah so she's talking about being um going to midwifery training midwifery training and um she said that um 
Trying not to think too much about finding Mr. Wright wasn't too hard. Besides, Pops was already helping do some of that thinking for me. Yes. <laughs> A lot of parents were perusing the, you know, ATI, IBLP guys at conferences to see, you know, who they might, you know, buddy-buddy up to to marry off their children. Although, her, uh, about her dad being proactive about that. I did not hear very many stories about fathers being proactive. So that, that was, that to me is more of a political um, personality thing to do. Um, I never heard stories like that. So her story was a new one where the dad was proactive about matching them. I wonder if it was in the more like the larger families. Yes. Because they had so many children <laughs> that, the dad might have been a little bit more active in trying to get them paired and out of the house. Yes. Because then he didn't have to support them anymore. Yeah. Well, that could be. And I think it was also a general assumption that if you went to serve anywhere, like headquarters or the seminars or something like that, you would naturally meet someone. Because I think toward the end of my four-year stint at headquarters, I don't know what I said that made that triggered my dad to say it, but he said, Marcy, you don't have to be afraid of the guys. You can talk to them. They're not scary. Just, just, it's okay for you to have conversations with them. I think because I was spouting so much of the culture there of it was dangerous for us to talk to them. We might get sent home if we talked to them, if they spent too much time at our desk, or I would come home stories of those thing, exact things happening. And I think that he was seeing that I wasn't making connections because <laughs> because of that fear level for me. And my level of fear was oh, high. It was very high because I was very much a pe people pleaser and, and wanted to be perfect in every way. So my level of anxiety in that was probably much higher than maybe the, the normal uh, group. Um, but yeah, but he <laughs> maybe he was concerned I wasn't going to meet somebody there because I was too afraid. Legit concerned <laughs> i mean i was not i was i'm a very outgoing person and i know you could tell that by when we met in headquarters i was not afraid to talk to the guys i had been around guys for i mean i really didn't get along with women before like my mid-20s because i just had so many problems with women and communicating with them guys you could piss them off and they'd be fine the next day girls they would hold a grudge forever so i was always making you know social faux pas so the guys understood me a little bit better and so i never had any issues talking with them. i think the guys were afraid that i was so you know outgoing towards them when i was at headquarters because a couple of them were kind of like taken aback by you know how comfortable it was for but it's i was also in a very male predominant career field and i had heard anything and everything you could ever think and so there's nothing that could offend me and no iblp guy was going to say anything that was offensive to me anyway so it was like it was actually felt a lot more safe Mm -hmm. with those guys than with the heathens of the air force. <laughs> yes. I remember wishing while I was there that I was far more uh, extroverted and able to hold a re decent conversation without being super nervous around guys. I just hadn't had enough exposure. There were three or four of them at my church and, and we weren't, we didn't really mix. They didn't mix the groups. They was girl groups or guy groups, you know, or if we did do things together, it just naturally separated and it just really wasn't a lot of pairing off. So, um, because same culture in church is at a lesser degree than, than headquarters. So I didn't even know how to interact with them. <laughs> well, I have, I have to say coming in at the end of your stint at IBLP, when I was there, you definitely had the mask going well and you did the role of um engaging leadership very well because i was quite impressed with you um <laughs> as a as a new you know newbie iblp -er. yeah i had learned it by the by the fourth year i i was also when you came into headquarters i was also beginning my rebellion so i i had gotten to the point where i just didn't give a shit <laughs> excuse my language didn't give didn't give a whatever a darn about what about what the rules were i was over it and so i had was starting my journey out 
And so I was a little you bit. Don't have, you know, yeah. we've cursed on this podcast before, Marcy. You don't have that bulge. I, I'm around kids all day. I'm around <laughs> zero to four. I can't do that at home. <laughs> so, Natural. Oops. Slippity, slippity, slip. Um, so, no other, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. The book was very well written. I, I agree. I mean, I know she had someone helping her, but some of that, someone who wasn't in it could not have conveyed. So I think a lot of this is from her and they may have just helped her kind of structure it in a way that was a little, that flowed well. So <laughs> please F and curse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am, Allison. Yes, ma'am. Um, all right. So the next one, I think such a cute picture of them. Yeah. I just, I have to say like seeing all of the struggles that they went through and and it didn't destroy them because a lot of couples could be destroyed by this and you know i know they're still going through it but it seems like they have a good foundation where it comes to you know understanding and compassion for each other and i just i love how that is conveyed in this book and she just you know whether you agree with them on everything or not their relationship you can see that they struggled and how they've supported each other in it. Most, it feels like mostly Derek was kind of helping her come out of her shell and supporting her. And you don't really see that in a lot of IBLP matches because of the dynamic of men and IBLP is to be dominating. And from what I see, Derek is not a dominator. And I love that about their relationship. Whether or not I agree with everything that he says is beside the point. That I can appreciate. Okay. So, um, but Derek was not like me. As the days and weeks rolled by, I was witness to the strength of his character, the depth of his faith, the power of the bonds of love that held his family together. He continued to work to check in on his mom. His mom had gotten cancer, I believe, um, right before they got uh, married, and then I think she got sick again uh, a while later. I'm not sure at what point this is in the book. Um, and help her where needed, supporting his wonderful stepdad, Ronnie, who was caring for her 24-7. Derek continued to attend, attend seminary, plan the wedding, and still make himself available for filming. His determination and capacity for hard work was awe-inspiring. So this was all about the time that they were getting ready. That's a lot to handle. And I believe he was in his early to mid twenties at that time. That's that speaks volumes. So I had another comment I was going to highlight, but I just got to figure out how to get there because it's on the opposite screen I'm working on. <laughs> uh, no, no. The other Sarah says I'm waiting on a focus on the family expose. I was friends with IBLB people, but our crowd was a little secular for them. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, we had we had friends that were a lot uh, were focused on the family uh, friends, and they were um, on the outer uh, considered the outer edges of that. Yes. So I agree with you there. Same experience. And a lot of it was very similar because mm -hmm. a lot of the evangelical groups were picking from the same, you know areas and the same sources and some people picked up Gothard stuff but not all of it so I can uh, looked at listen to some of their children's shows and stuff like that because I was perusing them for my own children I was like whoa 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 mm -mm. <laughs> and I thought it would be safe because I thought it was on the outer edges of that and, yeah. no they slipped some of that in there that's for yeah. sure um Let's see. So, or even did you guys um, do Patch the Pirate? Did you know Patch? The I Pirate? did that with yeah. I did that with my kids. Um, that was more IFB that would do that. Um, uh, that those circles, and um, I did that with my kids for a while. Some of it wasn't that bad, but you know, I'm. It's been a while since I listened to it. So if I went back, I'd probably like, oh, didn't realize that. <laughs> We, we did a ton of it as a family. Like we loved Patch the Pirate. Mm -hmm. it, but, um, so I went back and listened to one for the girls. I think we found a random CD somewhere. 
and I listened to it and boy, I was triggered the whole way through. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm done with that. I probably should listen to some of the other ones because some of them were more poignant than others. And that was, I probably just got a hold of the wrong one. But I remember thinking, being surprised as an adult that I had such a uh, negative reaction <laughs> to it. I know you just don't know where it's going to be laying dormant in, in your brain and go, whoa, not good, not good. Um, no other Sarah says, I knew him, Patch the Pirate. Um, went to the wild of North Carolina a lot. Ah, um, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, being a Duggar on TV meant that I had opportunities and experiences that I would never enjoyed otherwise and i thought this was very good to point out what she said here and it conveyed i think a lot of the two things can be true at once but some things are not worth the cost some things are not for sale yes yes yeah and i think that pretty much i think that pretty much sums up iblp as a whole yes <laughs> yes Agreed. <laughs> um, so the next one that I thought was worth mentioning, I don't know how to like, okay, I don't have these numbered. So it's not like, okay, point, I'm going to have to do like a video of the highlights and um, kind of our comments and just do like snippets. Um. We were just kids when the show first started, and all we knew was that it was pop show, and our job was to do what was asked of us. To my way of thinking back then, asking to be paid for appearing on the show would have been as crazy as asking to be paid for helping build the big house, which wouldn't have been crazy, but otherwise, I digress. Ironically, this family filming ministry, was, which emphasized putting your family first, was sucking the life out of ours. Mm -hmm. and i find that a lot of people who are in the evangelical world that you know um are in ministry and you know they are participating in churches and stuff like that it eventually consumes your life and your life is just about church and the people around church and what church is doing and, you know, getting the message of Jesus out there, you know, it's like after, after my parents left IBLP, they were in an independent fundamental Baptist church, IFE church. And it got to the point where it was like, I knew not to even ask my parents or plan anything on days that or during church services, because they would just not come. Church was more important my sister would be in town after months or years of not being in town. And they're like, well, we have to go to church. And I'm like, you can't miss church for a evening to spend with your kid and grandkids that you haven't. I mean, they would go see her, you know, more often than not. But it's like, we're not together as a family very much. It's like, you can't take a couple hours off of church for your family. Like, how is that putting family first? That's putting God's church first, you know, supposed church, you know, and it's, it just always baffled me how they would always say to be focused on your family and serving your family. And then they would pull you away from that and having time to do that by booking you up and telling you you had to be there every time the, the doors were open. Did y'all kind of have that? Did y'all have that kind of setup with y'all's church or were y'all more relaxed about? Um, we had, I mean, it was kind of expected that you were there every time the doors were open, but my parents had boundaries with that. So um, we were there every time the doors were open on Sunday. Um, the Any other time was um, a bonus. So if we could go on Wednesday nights, we if they had like an Awana program or something like that, and we were learning scripture, then they would do that. Um, but that was also our social outlet. We did not have any other social outlet. Um, a few, a few um, homeschooling groups and stuff, but those didn't meet. Um, they met 
you know, sporadically and we moved so much that we weren't, it was hard for us to be a part of group for very long because we were gone every other year. So we were out of state. So, um, church was, was our outlet. So it, it was, um, it was the only way we had to see other people or friends. Um, so that was, they didn't, they didn't let it take over family stuff too much. Um, well, that's good. I mean, and you know, it's like, it's so hard mm-hmm. when everything that you're going, you know, that's coming at you is be all in, be all in, be all in, be all in to have balance. And any family that had balance with that was outside of the norm. Yeah. I, if we had not been so transient, if, because my dad's job so much that we just couldn't promise that we were going to be there. So they didn't, they only took on short-term things. They didn't take on long-term things because they knew the next month they might get a call from dad's work and we would be gone for a year. So I think that if we had had more permanency in one space, that that probably might have been different. Um, mm-hmm. But we promise. So and and we moved um, across state to four to four times uh, between the ages of seven and sixteen. So every every eighteen months we were gone. So it 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 limited us in what we could do. So I think probably would have been different had that not been had had we not been so transient. So, okay. So I have quite a few more (laughs) notes and I, we're getting to that almost hour mark. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and read this one and we'll comment on it. But if you have any comments about the book, if you have any questions about the book, and of course, if you want a part three for me to go through the rest of my points that I thought were important about the book, let us know. Cause, uh, maybe this is the way we get back on track of being more consistent of showing up (laughs) um (laughs) was that speaker problems or not (laughs) oh my gosh that's we're gonna have to do a test run the day before next time oh so we're a little bit more prepared um All right. So the last one that I have for tonight is I was one of the older kids. So I naturally felt more weight and responsibility to do something and to help somehow. And I wanted to help them to show them. I think this is talking about the whole Josh situation and the Megan Kelly interview. Um, And I wanted to help them to show them my love and loyalty in the hardest of times, but I had no boundaries, no sense of what I needed to do to protect myself. I was terrified and didn't want to do the interview at all, but I felt like it was the only way to prove my love and commitment to my parents. I would clear their name and tell everyone that my brother's problems were a thing of the past. How could I stay silent? I thought I knew how much it would cost me. (sighs) You know, and, and to find out that Josh was sitting on a couch during that interview, not far from the girls that I think that was in the book and, or she said it in an interview. I think it was in the book. I can't remember, but oh my gosh, like seriously, are you kidding me? These young girls were talking about one of the most horrific things that they have been, been through on live national and international TV. And their abuser was feet away. And I'm like, Megan Kelly, what the hell were you thinking? Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't you say, maybe we should ask Josh to not be here? Mm-hmm. You know what crosses my mind when I hear that? Because that was the first time I heard that he was in the room. Because I didn't read that part of the book. Um, how much did that empower him? Right? How much did that empower him to think, ha, I've the very people that I did this to are defending me. They're saying it's past and I get to sit right here and watch it all happen. And I think he was chuckling. If I remember right, let me see if I have that. Um, I haven't read that part, so I can't speak to that, but the, but if that was so, then, then I'm going to have to see it. Um,
<sighs> so much pain in that paragraph. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here it is. Um, Josh and his family were also there. This might seem strange, but I suppose events were somehow viewed as a thing of the past by that point. It had been about three months since I'd last seen Josh. He'd moved to Washington, D.C. in 2013 to work for a conservative group lobbying against access to things like stem cell research, abortion, divorce, and pornography, ironically enough, given later events. I love that. <laughs> I love that sarcasm in there. As soon as the story broke, he resigned and he, Anna, and the kids all fled to the paparazzi and came back to Arkansas. I didn't know how to be around Josh, although what had happened had been addressed back then and he had apologized many times. We didn't talk about what had happened anymore. It felt like a distant past, but even so, I didn't expect him to be quite as relaxed as he was. And later in the days, I didn't expect him to start laughing, even though it was clearly nervous laughter when he described being under siege by photographers. It felt weird that he was acting like this, but it was mom who dealt with it. Josh, she barked at him. It's not your fault that the, it's not your fault that this was released, but you need to know that you were behind all of this. Don't be so arrogant. Josh's smile vanished. I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry to you girls and all you're having to go through all this. But how sorry was he if he kept doing shit that was dumb and oh disgusting. So yeah. Um and so I was trying to find the thing about the um Oh, there he is. Answering all Megan's questions with Josh watching from a couch just out of shot was like having a bandage ripped off a deep and open wound. It was agony so painful that I didn't really pause to ask why Josh was allowed to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. All right, so let's go to some comments after that yeah. disaster. Um, let's we'll just take this off and then we'll switch to this. All right. Um, so no other Sarah says I've done a lot of work on myself, and I believe you both had a lot to do with my journey. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, I appreciate you all. Always good to know that that it is helping someone. <laughs> yes. That's that's why we do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. That made oh, that's so great. <laughs> um, and then Sarah says, Lopez says, three, please. Fine, we'll do three. <laughs> Allison, yes, he was. That whole Josh thing, yeah. Okay, yeah, it was in the book. It was. We found it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, there's, so I mean, there's just... That the hanger to end on. <laughs> A heavier note. I'm glad you put that comment in there because it helped. <laughs> Release some of that tension. Oh my gosh. All right, guys. So um we're both tired and we kind of got a late start. So now we're getting a late end. But we really appreciate y'all being here and we will try. I am starting a new job, hmm, hopefully Monday. So, um, yeah, uh, trying to get the last bit of stuff done this week. And then, uh, well, actually not Monday because it's a federal holiday. So Tuesday. So um, it won't be next Tuesday <laughs> unless I'm not working. So we'll see. Uh, but we'll keep you posted and we'll try to put um, a post up at least a day ahead. Uh, so I've been trying to do that or the morning of 
um, when we decide to go uh, live. And um, so be sure that you follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We are also on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. And um, there's also other ways to support us now. We have the ability to do, I think it's uh, Super Thanks. And you can also do on YouTube super stickers and all that kind of stuff if you want to help us out to cover the cost of the stuff that we need to use to do this podcast. We would really appreciate your support. But most of all, we appreciate you being here. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, like, my brain went into, like, different mode. And so I got to go back to let's end this thing. Um. I totally forgot how we end this thing, but I think I'm going to figure it out. All right. So thank you for being here. (laughs) And we hope that you will join us on our next episode. And if anybody has not told you lately, we are proud of you and we love you. So bye.